baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Thanks for joining us. This week on Special Edition, we're going to hear from Pennsylvania State Senator John Udichak. Also joining us, Tom Sullivan. He's the Vice President of Small Business Policy at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Dan Weaver, President and Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Oil and Gas Association. We're going to find out about those at-home tips from Dr. Chris Donahue. But we'll start off with Intercom's Rocky and Lissa. They have caught up with Dr. Jaywan Rue from Geisinger. He's going to tell us not about all the things that happen in Geisinger that are taking care of the patients, but some of the great things that are happening there to take care of the staff. Right now we've got Dr. Jaywan Rue, President, CEO of Geisinger. I've been seeing on social media a lot of at Geisinger, you have doctor-nurse ingenuity going on when it comes to keeping spirits up and connecting patients to their loved ones, whether it's with iPads or whatever. I mean, mad props for that. Yeah, there, there is a lot of creative stuff going on. iPads, not just for telemedicine visits, but also just to communicate, you know, with families, given that we have visitation restrictions or even the nursing in these COVID-specific biocontainment units. It's just been amazing. That must make a world of difference to people that they can communicate with their loved ones. You guys are thinking outside the box to make that happen, to facilitate that. I mean, what does that do for somebody's psyche? It's been big. I mean, obviously, visitation restrictions is a big part of what most health systems are doing right now for all the all the right reasons. But in the midst of that, what ends up happening, of course, is you have patients that are admitted to the hospital not able to be there with their loved ones and being able to introduce the technology as a way for them to stay tethered and connected. It's just been a neat way to mitigate an otherwise difficult set of circumstances. What else have you uh, seen or or maybe experienced that's on the positive side, the fun side, the way uh, the staff at Geisinger is keeping things uh, light when they can? I mean, you hear about on the media the debt or the infections or the ICUs, the ventilators, the shortages, that kind of stuff. But there's actually a whole lot of positive as well. I mean, every day we are weaning people off the ventilators. Every day we have people leaving the ICUs and going onto the floors. And every day we're also seeing people get discharged from the hospitals. We've had some suggestions who said every time we discharge somebody, maybe they need a theme song as they get wheeled out of the hospital. You know, whether it's the Rocky theme or some (laughs) people have suggested, you know, Journey, Don't Stop Believing, like that kind of stuff to demonstrate and celebrate the fact that there's a whole lot to be celebrated. I think another good example, I was rounding out in several of our clinics a few days ago. And we had one of our nurses, her husband saw this online. I thought it was hilarious. One of the ways to put the ear loops of the mask and make it tighter is if you have the Princess Leia style buns (laughs) in your hair, 
you could loop the ear loops behind the buns, which pulls your mask tighter than if you just loop them behind the ears. I happened to be there on the first day that she tried it, thought it was hilarious, and actually did like a video selfie with her because I just thought it was super creative, and it was working really well for her, and she said she's going to stick with that hairstyle. The force is strong with that one. <laughs> that is awesome. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on at the same time. I am so doing that. So now you visit all the campuses. What are you seeing for mental health with your employees and stuff, and what can we do as the public? We say thank you all the time, but is there anything else we can do to help keep their spirits up? You know, I think a lot of these shows of encouragement and support, whether it's the signs entering our campuses, people drawing things on the sidewalks with chalk, the messages, the cards that people are sending, papers and drawings that people are posting on windows when these folks are walking in and out of work. I think that means the world to anybody. Such an encouraging sign of support. Keep diligently doing the distancing efforts, the hand hygiene, the keeping surfaces clean, all the things that we as a community are, in fact, doing. The generosity, whether it's businesses, big and small, coming forward with donations of supplies, equipment, sometimes monetary, individuals doing the same. It means a lot, and it's very encouraging to us as an organization, but also individually the folks who work within the organization. Nice. Well, let's keep it up, Northeast PA. We can do this. You mentioned before, as far as flattening the curve, you thought Northeast PA looked promising. Do we still think that? Yeah, and and I may have mentioned this last week, I forget, but we have seen some of the very early signs of perhaps things leveling off in Luzerne and Lackawanna counties. Now, we got to be careful, though, because that still means that every day there are newly positively tested patients. It just means the rate at which that's happening has slowed down versus what it was, and that leads to that leveling off effect. But we still have to be super diligent around the social distancing and all the other efforts. And it's also important to note that once you hit the peak, it doesn't just drop like a cliff drop. It gradually declines from there. And of course, as there are now discussions around reopening elements of society, we need to make sure we keep our eyes on ensuring that we do that thoughtfully and safely so that we don't see a second spike or a reintroduction of another wave or things like that. So that's why you're hearing a little bit of caution in my voice, but we do see early signs of leveling off, so we'll take it. Final question from me. There's a lot of confusion regarding how this affects kids. What should parents know and be doing? Well, a few thoughts. One is there's still a lot that we're learning about the virus from a science standpoint. Uh, But one of the things, one of the observations that folks have made, which I think is true, is that kids don't seem to be as heavily affected by this. I think that's interesting. We're not sure why that is, but that's the observation from the experience across the world. But that doesn't mean that they can't convey or transmit the virus. You know, they could still be carriers in the sense that they could be infected and they could be the conduits of carrying that infection to other folks. Okay, good to know. Rock, did you have any other questions? Well, it's kind of a dumb question, but a friend of mine just posted it on Facebook. She wants to know if there's a certain amount of etiquette sneezing while wearing a mask. Like, what's the proper way of doing it in public? What we've said, and this goes back weeks before people were more routinely masking, but the recommendations were if you need to sneeze or cough, do so into your elbow. Try to shield it as much as possible. Even if you're wearing a mask, 
you should still try to sneeze or cough as much away from others as possible and ideally into your elbow or in a covered way. Dr. Rue, thank you so much. We know you're super busy, so we'll let you go. But Great. Thank you all so much. Dr. Jaywan Rue, the president and CEO of Geisinger, along with Intercom's Rocky and Lissa and some of the positive things that are happening behind the scenes. Now, talking about behind the scenes, many of us are spending a lot of time at home. What's going on behind the scenes in your house? Maybe you need some tips. Intercom's Doc and Jesse spoke with Dr. Chris Donahue, and he has some good ways to put some spins on maybe negative thinking. You know, everybody's home a whole bunch of weeks now. I believe we're in either week number four, week number five. It starts to blend together after a while. And uh, we have Dr. Chris Donahue on with us. Doctor, how do we handle being home together without going crazy? Now more than ever, we have to be the people that are willing to just let the small things go. So, you know, the psychological term I'm throwing out there is right size it. If it's not that big of a deal, let it go. Don't have the most difficult conversations now. Let the kids play more video games. Eat some things maybe you're not comfortable seeing them eat. Give yourself a break. This isn't forever, but these are special times, and so we have to look at everything differently. And Dr. Chris, I'm so excited to talk to you this morning because I love I'm listening, Stay Connected as part of Radio.com. I've been watching so much of what you talk about, and one of those things is toxic positivity. For those who aren't familiar, explain a little bit about that. There's a lot of people they're trying to be helpful, but they're kind of shaming people that aren't using this time to, quote unquote, look on the bright side or to find meaning by going back to school, learning a new trade, a new language, re-wallpapering a room. And the toxic positivity is about how there's no right way to get through this. And for some people, this isn't going to be a productive, motivating time. We're in the middle of a pandemic. That is usually not when your creative juices are flowing. And so we don't want to shame the healthy expression of loneliness or depression by telling these people, oh, get a degree online or look at the bright side or stay positive because there's not always something positive happening. There's a lot of bad, sad things that are happening. Let's talk about mom and dad or the relationships at home. I know that's got to be getting tougher too. Even in my house, and I love my wife and she's a saint, puts up with me, but we have a, a different dynamic. Her dad, we have him now because of this. My daughter, who's normally in college at this point, she's home now and freaking out because she's not with her friends at college. Well, that's the thing. We love each other, but we're not used to so much immersion and so don't take too seriously some of the changes and feelings you might have about some of the most important relationships in your life because it's born out of a really strange time and so it's not necessarily the most honest thing because my concern coming out of this is people walking away from relationships that historically have so much meaning to them now feeling a little bit different or a little negative or a little triggery because this is such a powerfully immersive experience that's not healthy like we have to self-isolate but it's not healthy on our psychology or our relationships. And no self-medicating, right? Just based on the memes that I'm seeing online, it seems like people are drinking a lot during this time. Do you think that's going to have a negative impact on people's lives? I'm nervous about it on a lot of levels. We're normalizing drinking as a main coping mechanism. I'm seeing people normalize drinking as something you could just do throughout the day when you when you have the downtime. Not only is that not good for your immune system, it's also a really bad coping mechanism to get very familiar with. And children are always watching us. We're always modeling for them coping mechanisms And so don't think that they're able to separate out. Oh, that's just happening right now because of a pandemic. Or there's other options, but mom or dad are choosing that one. I'd rather mom or dad say, I'm having a really rough day and have the children watch them talk it out or find something more productive than the alcohol. The posts are making me horrified, some of them. 
One of the positives I do notice in my family, I have a sister in Florida, a brother in New York. So what we do is Saturday night, we get together and do a Zoom call. I'm so thankful psychologically and relationally for technology because had this happened decades ago, this would be a very traumatic experience, more so for a lot of us. But you're right. That's a beautiful example of us maybe coming together in new ways that we hadn't before. I know I'm just personally surprised at some of the people from my past that I hadn't been very close with that are now reaching out. So I'm also throwing that out there as well. Please be available to people that you might not normally feel that close to that are reaching out to you because you might be a lifeline to them and you might not see it that way, but you're a needed resource and you're possibly one of the few people they feel safe enough or comfortable enough reaching out to. So have those family Zoom sessions, even if you're not feeling that close to those family members. Please pick up the phone. We need each other. Dr. Chris Donahue, thank you for joining us and shedding some light on mental health today. You have a podcast right here at radio.com. I'm listening. Stay connected every night at eight o'clock. And where else can people find you? I'm also doing my nightly radio show Love Line, also on radio.com and we are channelq.com. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. Intercom's Doc and Jesse talking with Dr. Chris Donahue, and we also want to thank Intercom's Rocky and Lissa for bringing us up to date and their discussion with Dr. Jaywan Rue from Geisinger. Now don't go away. When we come back, Intercom's Frank Andrews has some of the experts to talk about small businesses and those gas prices. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. This past week, we've been hearing about so many things besides coronavirus and its effect on people, but the effect that it's been having on the economy. That includes especially small businesses. Intercom's Frank Andrews caught up with Tom Sullivan. He is Vice President Small Business Policy at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and he's going to tell us about how the chambers throughout the country are going to be getting together to help one small business at a time reopen and prosper. Very happy to have on the line with us right now Tom Sullivan, who is the Vice President of Small Business Policy for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Tom, thank you for joining us. Frank, thank you for having me. Okay, so you're the you're the Vice President of Small Business Policy, so solve all the problems for our small businesses. Well, thanks, Frank. <laughs> I wish I could, uh, because I, I, I would be doing it. Uh, I'd be doing it 24-7. Now, you know, we've been talking about this PPE program, but the the thing that steered me to you was the Save Small Business Fund of the U.S. Chamber. What is that, and how does it help people? Well, uh, you know, good news and bad news. Uh, Good news is we rolled out a $5,000 grant program. Uh, The good news is that there was over overwhelming demand. The bad news is that demand was so high, we ran out of money almost instantly. And so, Frank, this example of what happened um, has left us razor focused on the need small businesses have for capital. I mean, for us to roll out a program saying, we're going to give out $5,000 grants and instantaneously the demand for, from legitimate small businesses uh, who then became very frustrated that, um, that the, running, the money ran out so quickly, that, that has really refocused us on our mission. Uh, one, we're very sorry we weren't able to help more people. Uh, but two, we're, doing, we're, we're leading even more aggressively into getting help to small business. And we, 
We are in the middle of a campaign telling members of Congress they must restore funding for both SBA's disaster loan program and this PPP loan. And we know, certainly, Frank, that, that, that that's not going to be enough. Um, as soon as they restore funding, we've got to come back to Congress and the White House with experiences from small businesses and say that we are at a critical point here where small business needs help. And let's not wait for the last minute again to solve the problems that exist on Main Street. See, now, when I when I saw the information, the program was going to kick in, I thought, oh, this will be great. We'll get you on right away and we'll be able to help people. But you're right. I mean, it's just like the PPE program. There were so many people that reached out for help that it, it, it just it was a log jam. And of course, you're right. We need help. The question, Tom, is, is Washington listening? They, and Frank, the answer is they have to. We can't afford for them not to listen. Um, so you take you take our experience yesterday of having over 15,000 applications in in less than two minutes. And how do you take that energy? How do you take that desperation? How do you take that critical need and put that in front of every member of Congress? And there's no better organization in the United States than U.S. Chamber to do that. And our 1,600 local and state chambers all joining forces to push this in front of Congress. Now, uh, Tom, while we're talking uh, on the Hill.com, the White House and Congress have reached a deal yes. on new funding Just package. Yep. Uh, the deal totals $480 billion, appropriates $320 billion for the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, $60 billion, which is set aside for small lenders and community financial institutions, $60 billion for the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. Now, is that, is that going to be at least enough, or is that is that just a start? Frank, it's just a start, uh, and it's great news. I mean, to see Congress come together uh, in a very difficult time. I mean, sometimes we forget that not not only uh, are these our elected leaders, they're also human beings, and they're struggling with the health of themselves and their loved ones. Um, and for them to come together and and put more money into Main Street where it's needed most is a tremendous next step. Uh, however, <laughs> however, we have got to immediately then begin working on two things. First is what else is needed? And the second is what's our path forward? And, and we are already looking at what states are starting to do, looking at their health situation county by county and making decisions on bringing America back to work. So the conversation hopefully will shift from the urgent need for capital to survive into what it's going to take to get the business community back up and running. And U.S. Chamber of Commerce has already started the Path Forward Project. We have a return to work outline of 11 pages that flushes out some of the policy considerations that are going to be very important. And we are already hearing from our partners in Pennsylvania and all across the United States, the local chambers of commerce, that they want to be part of this effort. So when a business starts opening in Texas, we're going to hear about it and be able to communicate what's working for that business in Texas to the business owner in Florida who's grappling with the same sets of issues. That's where we're uniquely positioned, while because we represent over 3 million businesses in the United States, 
to share information and to put things in front of policymakers so we make sure that we get it right. Well, you know, Tom, I have to confess, I really didn't know much about the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, but when I saw this uh, this program and I began to research, you guys are a wealth of information. I think every small business should be going to your website and just kind of educating and learning. How do people get in touch with the U.S. Chamber? Well, Frank, thank you for the compliment. We do not want any small business to decide to close its doors simply because it doesn't know what resources are available. We think the best way for small businesses to tie in is through our small business digital portal. That is accessible at uschamber.com slash co. Again, our small business digital portal is uschamber.com slash co. And everything that we've talked about, Frank, is up there in in narrated content that builds in other small businesses' experiences so that every person that visits that site is able to draw tools, tips, and information to help them succeed as a small business. And thanks again to Tom Sullivan, Vice President, Small Business Policy, Chambers of Commerce for the United States. And of course, if you haven't had the opportunity to get to know any of our local Chambers of Commerce, you should. There are lots of things that are happening throughout our area, and they would certainly be happy to answer your questions. And Intercom's Frank Andrews always has a question or two on his mind, and he knows exactly who to go to to find the answers. Next, he's going to be introducing us to Dan Weaver. He is the president and executive director of Pennsylvania Oil and Gas Association. That means he's the man to answer the questions about, what about all these extremely low gas prices? On the line with us is Dan Weaver. He is the president and executive director of the Pennsylvania Oil and Gas Association. And Dan, my question to you and the reason I bugged you is because we hear so much about, you know, the the plunging prices of oil. And we're wondering basically what the heck is that going to ultimately mean to the consumer? Well, ultimately to the consumer, um, you know, it's going to benefit the consumer on the consumer side. Uh, you know, at lower prices as we're starting to see, I don't know where it's at over on your side of the state, but out here we actually have gasoline prices, you know, under $2. Uh, it's easy and we're close to the Ohio border and there's places in Ohio that it's actually under a dollar uh, at this point in time. So there's a direct uh, immediate benefit um, that the consumers will see. So it's it's an interesting game. This has been an interesting week if you've been watching the market, obviously, that you have. Now, you know, but I'm thinking, I mean, it's a, like a buck 84 here in uh, in northeastern sure. Pennsylvania. But I, I'm just thinking, you know, the, the people that own the little convenience store that pump gas and that's part of their income, they must be hurting. I mean, there must be a lot of ripple effects. And at the I'm also thinking, would there be a real price re- decrease in home heating oil coming up? Uh, yeah, there will be ripple effects. I had a conversation with uh, some of our members, you know, just yesterday, and, and we all agreed that going into this, what everything looked like, and everyone said, well, we keep when we get back to new normal. What We want to get back to normal. I said, well, there, there isn't a normal again. Uh, it's a new normal. It's, well, it, 
it won't be the same as what it was going in. So it, it should have that ripple effect. It should lower, you know, heating costs. It should lower, um, you know, anything that's associated with coming directly from oil. The, the adverse side of it is, you know, out here, the 19 counties in the state of Pennsylvania that produce oil is the, you know, the companies that rely on those producers, you know, whether it's a service company. And in some areas, that whole industry is the only industry in that little community. Um, they're they're going to crumble uh, at this point in time with these prices. When you say when you say they, are you talking about like the Marcellus industry? Uh, no, not the Marcellus. We're talking natural gas and oil in Pennsylvania are two totally separate things. Um, you know, the oil industry primarily is very small, what we call stripper producers. They produce, you know, n- not too many barrels. You might be getting a quarter or a, a good well might produce two, three barrels of oil a day. They're not these giant wells. Versus if we start talking about the Marcellus industry, you know, with, you know, natural gas and shale development, that's a totally different scale. Um, and actually gas prices, natural gas prices, are holding fairly steady around $1.80. And we are fairly bullish um, it coming this fall when it comes to natural gas. Uh, and actually the natural gas sector benefits from this, at least in Pennsylvania, because of the you know, associated gas that comes up with the oil wells in Texas, obviously at these prices, they're not going to be producing as much oil. You can shut those in, so therefore they're not producing as much gas, so therefore that increases demand for gas from other parts of the United States, i.e. us in Pennsylvania. Okay, so now I I said to myself, wait a minute, Uh, buck 84 a gallon, you know, it's a great price. Not too many people are driving, which means that the that the gas tax is not going into the Pennsylvania revenue. So I'm thinking to myself, knowing Harrisburg as I do, I'm, I'm waiting for them to, you know, start screaming, we need more gas tax money. So I, I called the Department of Revenue and said, how much money have we lost in the gas tax? And they basically said, we don't know because the fuel tax is collected from fuel distributors, not gas stations. So we will not see an immediate impact on tax collections. To explain this per- point further, March revenue was not impacted. We may see it in April, but I mean, it's got to take a beating, right, Dan? Oh, I would say so. Um, I think you're going to see, you know, we initially, when we went into this, say we go back to February, let's go back that far, and you listen to the legislators, and they were talking about potentially having a surplus in the in the, in the the revenue streams, um, and we thought, geez, this is going to be an interesting budget season. It should go fairly normal, and then this hit, and as you saw, the governor announced, what was it, two weeks ago, they're now looking at like a $4 billion deficit. Yep, at least. Uh, at least, min- at minimum. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be very interesting. They're going to look in a variety of areas, I think, for you know revenue generation as we move forward. Now, you know, let me let me make sure I understand it, because, you know, we have been, uh, you know, uh, talking to Marcella Shale Coalition. We've been talking to lots of people up there. We know that it has, you know, completely changed the economy of Pennsylvania. Is our Marcella Shale companies, are they in, in danger right now? Um, I wouldn't say in danger, no. Um, you know, obviously, it, they're trying to do business as normal um, and whatever that normal is and using the precautions that are put forth. They're still out there. They're still working. Um, the natural gas industry is considered an essential industry, so our people are still there while trying to abide by the best guidelines put forth by, you know, the CDC. Um, it's just going to be interesting. Let's go with that uh, to see what it looks like on the backside is 
what does the winter look like? We had a fairly light winter at this point in time. And again, the ripple effect on the oil price and on oil side, that's going to take years to recover from. Um, where the natural gas side, you know, like I said, it hasn't really been that affected, um, you know, by this. It's still holding steady natural gas prices, like I said, about a dollar eighty or so. Yeah, amazing. Dan Weaver, you're a wealth of information. Thank you for letting us bug you. I think I will in the future. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And I'd like to take a moment and thank our intercom communications team for reaching out to the people who have the answers to the questions that we're all asking during this coronavirus pandemic. Now, don't go away, because when we come back, Intercom's Jason Barsky is going to be talking with Senator John Udichak. The senator has been very busy working with especially large businesses, and we'll find out what's been happening in that area when Special Edition returns. Welcome back to Special Edition. Next, we'll meet State Senator John Udichak. Intercom's Jason Barsky was able to catch up with the senator and find out about the things in his district that are happening in regard to COVID-19. Well, first, let's talk about what you've been up to here. Uh, I know you, it was what, last week, a little, almost like a week and a half ago, you put out, uh, you were part of something called the Regional Enforcement Partnership in Luzerne County, dealing with COVID-19. Yes. For anyone who doesn't yes. know, can you uh, tell them what that involved, who was cool. part of it, and how it affects everybody? Well, very early on, uh, from the beginning of this uh, COVID-19 crisis, uh, we've been having daily uh, conference calls with the Lehigh Valley Health Network in Hazleton, and Hazleton, as you know, has been hit hardest uh, near the epicenter uh, of our COVID-19 crisis, uh, accounting for uh, 72% of the positive cases. And so from those conference calls, it became clear the uh, Hazleton was the epicenter, and we were listening to the physicians and to the the healthcare professionals in Hazleton. And what came out of those calls was that many of the life-sustaining businesses deemed by uh, Governor Wolf uh, that were allowed to remain open from the beginning of this crisis never have closed. Many of them have well over 1,000 employees on shift. Uh, There was no direction. Uh, there wasn't a game plan for 30 days uh, coming out of the Department of Health. Uh, the Secretary Levine didn't issue an order to about April 6th about addressing these big logistics centers and, and meatpacking plants. And, and we had cargo that actually closed. They had over 160 positive cases just in one facility. So instead of waiting for the Department of Health or OSHA and uh, waiting for their inspectors to get on the scene, which they still have not been on the scene. We're almost 50 days into this emergency order and the inspections uh, haven't taken place. So we took it upon ourselves. We formed through the South Valley Council of Governments, the Mountain Council of Governments that represent 30 municipalities from greater Wilkes-Barre to greater Hazleton along the 81 corridor where many of these large facilities operate. And they're local code enforcement officers. We put teams together and we went in and we've we've gone through uh, over 140 uh, inspections. Uh, we we now operate a website, LuzerneCovid.com, where we've received over 400 complaints from workers. We make sure that we investigate those complaints. We pass on those complaints to OSHA and to the Department of Health, and it's been very effective. We were able to get local boots on the ground quickly 
and I can tell you the businesses have responded very well. They've stepped up their mitigation efforts. Uh, many of them are, are starting to do temperatures before uh, anyone enters the facility. They're cleaning the facilities, and then we got uh, the Department of Health to issue another order on April 18th uh, about the guidelines, uh, the COVID-19 safety guidelines being implemented in these facilities. Uh, and so it's working very well. Again, local resources and uh, in, in, in efficiency in, in the delivery of these inspections is what the COVID-19 Regional Code Enforcement Partnership has been all about. Cool. Talking to uh, Senator John Udicek of the uh, 14th District here in Pennsylvania. It, when it comes to these you know, these inspections and these uh, different rules you're putting out there. See it all over the country. There is a segment of the population, um, I don't know how big or how small it is, who says, they, you can't do this. You can't force these people to do this. And to, from everything I've read and people I've talked to, I'm coming to find out that legally it may be very hard to truly enforce these rules. However, based off of the scientific evidence that is out there, it seems like the right thing to do. Uh, how enforceable are these, these, when you guys go in and you say you find a violation, is there, is it just like, hey, please fix this? Is this more of like a helping hand kind of inspection or more of a... a you make, and you make a great point, uh, Jason, and it gets to a bigger point. And the bigger point is most of these decisions uh, uh, over the last 50 days have been made under an emergency declaration act uh, by Governor Wolf. And the governor and the executive branch have made these decisions unilaterally. They are not through the legislative process. They didn't go through both chambers uh, of the legislature, and, and they were not signed into law by the governor. And so enforcement uh, under that act, act uh, uh, the Emergency Act, it, it's silent. We're going to have to address that going forward because what we've seen, and I think pe people don't like in America and Pennsylvania don't like the idea of a fascist dictator or a liberal dictator. They don't like dictators. They want people that are going to be collaborative. They want people that are going to work through the process. And our democracy lets people have input uh, on these decisions. And, uh, you know, the last uh, 50 days, there's been a lot of unilateral decisions uh, that have made. Uh, we had early on where folks were told, don't wear the mask, get them to uh, our first responders and the frontline healthcare professionals. So a lot of businesses did that stepped up and, and donated masks, put a lot of money on the table to help out those frontline uh, healthcare workers in this crisis. And then uh, two weeks later, told everyone has to wear masks. Those businesses, because it's now very difficult to get them, uh, are now asking the very uh, serious legal question, are they going to be liable if they cannot supply masks because they do not have them? and they can't get them. Uh, so there's certainly, uh, there's no playbook. Uh, this is a global pandemic. It's, it's a once in a lifetime, once in a generation challenge uh, to our federal and state and local governments. We understand that. Uh, I'm just continue to preach collaboration. Yeah, uh, I mean, talk to locals, talk to the public, talk right. to the legislature, uh, talk to the business community so that we can get this right. We, sh we should have identified uh, that when you're going to tell mom and pop on Main Street, close your doors, and you have two or three people working for you and you have two or three customers a day, but you're going to have a large logistics center that has 3,500 people working, and, and they're going to continue to work every day. We should have had a plan on day one when we declared the emergency to make sure that we didn't have the breakout. And clearly you can see it in the data. When, when you're talking about over 1,300 positive cases in Greater Hazleton, right. out of the 1,800 in Luzerne County, again, 72% of our cases are there. The other 10% 
of, of those 1,800 cases are in our nursing homes. And, yeah. and 50%, 57% of our deaths in Luzerne County are in our 25 nursing homes. I'm working with the Pennsylvania Health uh, Association, their statewide organization representing uh, nursing homes. We don't have a game plan. We should have noticed when uh, Washington State had their outbreak in that nursing home that we needed a game plan for our nursing homes. 47 days into this crisis, we don't have a game plan for our nursing homes. Finally, we're attacking uh, the issues in our industrial parks. Uh, the next battle we need to focus in, and these statewide associations are calling on, and I've supported and I've written a letter to the governor to call for a long-term care ambassador so that we could have a strategic plan, one person in charge of this response and making sure the workers uh, and certainly uh, the individuals that live in our nursing homes are safe. Uh, this is a serious, serious issue uh, for those individuals. We want to make sure we get them all the resources that we can. Um. Yeah, and to go back to the enforcement too, uh, one of the sure. I'd say one of the more cold-hearted comments I saw, but and I get what they were saying. Someone said, "You know, we have a constitution, and just because people get sick and some of them die, doesn't mean we lose our rights." Um, and my response, I don't know what your response is to something like that. My response is, uh, "Yeah, okay, fine, um, but can you cut us a, a, a couple months of slack here, and we'll revisit this issue because it's." Like, I, I just feel like, can we just yeah. throw look, us a bone have, here? Throw us have, a bone help. Help a little. Yeah. It, it's Look, we have to be responsible. Uh, we're all in this together. If, if uh, this crisis hasn't taught us anything, it should have taught us. Uh, we're all in this together. Uh, uh, one world, one globe, one uh, country. Uh, uh, this virus uh, doesn't discriminate. Uh, it, not county lines, city lines, nation. Uh, boundaries. Uh, it, 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 it's everywhere. And when you talk about enforcement and you talk about, uh, can you just impose these, these issues? Look, we have laws in this country. You, you have to wear your seatbelt to promote safety. You have to drive the speed limit. When we have a crisis, when we have an infectious disease with a high mortality rate, which we don't have a vaccine for, we need to be safe. Now, can uh, we second guess a lot of these orders? There's no question, and we'll go through that. Should there be more uh, of these uh, orders done through a legislative process where they can be vetted? And should they be unilateral decisions? I don't think so. I think they should be collaborative decisions yeah. uh, driven by data and science. Uh, but yes, we, we have to be good neighbors. Uh, we have to understand uh, that we have to be safe. Uh, and, and we have to understand there's no playbook yeah. uh, uh, for this. So there's brand there's new, no right? game plan, uh, and, and, and we are battling with it uh, as best we can. I think, first and foremost, you want to protect those frontline healthcare workers if they're going into a hospital or into a nursing home. Think of them as the person in front of you uh, at, at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Try to respect and make sure that you're keeping them safe because they're keeping us safe, uh, respect their families. Uh, and that's what it really comes to respect. Uh, and, 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 but also when, you know, I've been very vocal about this too. We have to work with both sides of our brain. Yes, we have an unprecedented public health crisis and challenge. But we also have to understand that the economy drives the resources that go into our ability to respond to this health crisis. So we can't simply walk away from the idea that we can shut down the economy, turn off the lights, and all will be well in a few weeks. There is no vaccine. Most experts tell us that is at least 12 months away. I pray that it's sooner. 
so I think uh, whether it's the federal government, the state government, they needed to, to, to better understand that, that we weren't going to be able to hunker down, stay at home for three weeks, and we were going to be beyond this and everything would be back to normal. Yeah. It's going to be a long time before we get back to normal. We have to be responsible neighbors. Uh, and uh, in terms of our leaders, they need to be more collaborative. Uh, they when, really need to bring in experts from not only from the health side of this crisis, but also from the economic crisis. This isn't a partisan issue. I think this is the most partisan thing we have going for us right now. And at the time, I truly believed that over the past, since the protests in the past couple of days, man, I'll tell you something. I see more and more people pointing fingers and it's us versus them. I mean, oh, wait, wait. I, mean, you're, <laughs> I mean, when you speak, you're speaking on behalf of your constituents, whether they like you or hate you. The we is us, right? Uh, correct. Uh, we are. There's an old uh, great uh, quotation from Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, uh, the government is us. Uh, we the people, yeah. uh, and uh, I don't like using uh, I uh, as as a politician because there's no single politician uh, that can accomplish anything. It's always a collaborative effort. So I, I use the term we. Uh, I'm an independent uh, now, uh, and uh, I made that decision because of the hyperpartisan before this crisis, uh, and I w- was hoping that uh, when we had a global challenge, a national challenge, a uh, challenge to our commonwealth. Uh, that we could have put the partisan bickering aside and we could have had a new form of politics, a politics of we, uh, instead of us versus them. Uh, that's what frustrated me and, 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 and compelled me to, to move into the independent. Folks that are battling this disease, folks that are losing their jobs, losing their businesses, don't care about Democrat and Republican. I, I want to speak for them. I'm going to speak in terms of we because I'm in it with them. Uh, and and that's how we should address this, the partisan bickering. Uh, and, and and there's a lot of experts uh, and political scientists that will figure out why it is so hyperpartisan. Perhaps it's social media, the ability to go on these social media sites and not have uh, human interaction and just be able to, to, to spout hate. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to choose the politics of we. Uh, in this battle, in every battle, uh, because when we collaborate, when we rise together as a commonwealth, as a nation, uh, we can accomplish anything. Uh, you know, many people have referenced this uh, as to uh, World War II, the challenge where you have the entire world engaged in a single battle. Uh, we have to have that same spirit in, in, gotcha. in this uh, global pandemic. I, I appreciate the, uh, I mean, I agree with what you're saying here. Uh, a couple of questions that have come in here. Some states, I guess, are suing China or just Pennsylvania. Have you heard stories of Pennsylvania considering suing China? Uh, that would be up uh, to the attorney general, Josh Shapiro. Uh, I have not heard any conversation okay. around that. I'm sure there will be an examination. Look, uh, it goes to uh, American manufacturing. I mean, we're trying to create manufacturing jobs before this crisis. And uh, with this uh, House Bill 1100, we create a, a uh, energy resource and fertilizer manufacturing tax credit to bring many of those manufacturing plants back from China. The sad fact is 80, 90% of our personal protection equipment, these medical supplies are manufactured over in China. Uh, so there's a bigger issue there. Uh, there's still going to be concerns about how uh, truthful they were with uh, how they did uh, with their outbreak. Uh, and did we get accurate numbers and did they alert uh, 
the World Health Organization uh, so that we had a better response, so that right. the world was prepared that this was a serious issue. So those, those uh, issues, whether lawsuits or, or other challenges to, uh, to the decisions made in China, that, that certainly will happen over the next uh, 6 to 12 months. Uh, another uh, text just said, you know, I guess it's your opinion or what you've seen. Why do you think the government wasn't prepared for this? Uh, information. Uh, again, I, I think if, because uh, the outbreak first occurred in China, uh, we weren't sure uh, exactly how serious this was going to be. Some downplayed it, uh, and, and then and some just simply didn't understand it. As as I continue to say, if you don't have a playbook, if you don't understand the data, and you don't understand the nuances uh, of an issue, and and unfortunately, because we don't have a vaccine, even our scientists and healthcare professionals don't know exactly how best. Uh, to battle. So we had the game plan of social distancing uh, and stay at home orders and, and you're hoping it works uh, and, 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 and you're not sure. That uncertainty, I think, has led, whether it's to the hyperpartisan, people being frustrated, the economic pain that they're feeling. Uh, and and it's, it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge uh, for this country and for this Commonwealth uh, as we start to open up the governor. Uh, has indicated that he will open up uh, construction uh, by May 1st, which uh, most of our neighboring states had construction open during the entire process. That's going to be a question of the administration of why they had that shut down. And then May 8th for North Central and Northwestern uh, Pennsylvania. And, and so as we open up, and we gradually open up, but we also understand that we've not defeated COVID-19. Right. Uh, it, it, it may come back in, in the fall. We have to be prepared for that, especially if it coincides with the flu season. Uh, we have to be vigilant when we have to be through these next six months. We need to get better at planning uh, and better at collaboration with uh, federal state and county governments to make sure our hospitals make sure our communities uh, are prepared to deal with, with uh, so many with people with so many people in, in uh, state and national government. The scariest thing I've ever heard you say is we need to plan to plan better. Ooh, I mean, I, I hope we can pull it all together. I really do. It just it makes me, stuff like that just cracks me up. I know, I know we can do it if we actually put our heads together, but I feel like we're getting to this point where so many people disagree with each other now again, and I, um, I, I, it drives me nuts. I just wish we could step back and look at it together and go, okay, this is what it is, but the science and the information does change almost on a daily basis, and, but what is the best way for people to reach you if they have an issue? Well, they, uh, John at PASEN.gov is the uh, email address. John at what? Uh, I'm sorry, John at PA send. Send.gov. And uh, the uh, Nanny Coke office, our, our, our Jim Thorpe office, they've been open uh, during this entire uh, process. Uh, we have our staff, you know, basically around the clock trying to answer these questions, keeping everybody um, in tune. We've done a few uh, robocalls. We're going to be doing a, a tele town hall meeting coming up. Uh, at the end of the month with a, with a few experts, with folks from the banking industry, the healthcare industry. And uh, so we're, we're making sure that we're answering questions. We're doing <clears throat> a high volume of constituents. The biggest is the uh, unemployment, without question. That was what the, one uh, of the that questions came in about, yeah. Yeah, it, the, the system was overwhelmed. Uh, you had 100 intake officers at labor and industry uh, who, who took in these applications for unemployment benefits. We have 1.5 million Pennsylvanians applying for those benefits. Uh, they've hired 200 new staff people. They're trying to address that. But anyone that wants uh, assistance, anybody that needs assistance, they could always reach me at 570-740-2434.
570-740-2434. I'm calling this the hypothetical magical action button where you could push a button and suddenly everyone in Pennsylvania would start doing what? Together. Without fighting, they would just all agree to. What would they start doing? Well, uh, the magic button that I would push is the creation of a vaccine. Oh, the that's an easy Pennsylvania one. get together and we have a vaccine and we save lives. Uh, and, uh, uh, and from a political standpoint, being an independent, I'd love uh, if folks could collaborate uh, uh, together, uh, worry less about political parties and worry more about people. Uh, but I understand that uh, these these are challenging times, even even in terms of politics. Gotcha. Senator uh, John Udichick, I'd love to, again, I'd love to have you back. I appreciate you uh, sure. coming on. Happy and uh, um, yeah, if anyone needs to reach out again, John at PASEN.gov or 570-740-2434. Um, we'll talk soon. Thanks for your time. Yeah, Appreciate thank you. it. COVID-19 is a severe lung infection. Trust the American Lung Association for science-based public health information, especially for the 36 million Americans who live with lung disease. We have resources to protect your lung health, access expertise from medical professionals, and peer-to-peer support through our online communities. Visit lung.org for daily updates or call 1-800-LUNG-USA. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.